Shio, shio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a long overdue new episode of the Creative Native Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Welch. Really excited to be back. It's been a little while. Things have been a little crazy getting the fall semester going and dealing with, uh, you know, COVID prevention and wildfire and smoke out here on the West Coast. But luckily, we're all doing well and staying healthy. And I hope you and yours are doing the same as well. I'm really excited. We got a great episode for you today. I have kind of this amazing trio of myself, uh, Elise Ally Joseph and Kelsey Leonard, who are all going to introduce themselves shortly to you um, and talk about the research project that we took on this summer um, as a way to really process honestly, what we were going through um, with COVID, COVID-19 and in our native communities. And so I have the ladies talk a little bit about their backgrounds, super interesting, and then talk more specifically about the project we did um, this summer, which just got published this month, and we are um, excited to be able to share that very shortly. So be on the lookout, um, check out my website and any of my social media posts to see that connection. You'll be able to find the published, finished version with an amazing graphic um, and illustration to represent what we called the five factors of exercising sovereignty. And we played, did a play on the, you know, the word exercise. So we could include sports and activity into that. But enough of me, let's, let's dive into the episode. All right. So I am here with Elise, Ali Joseph and Kelsey Leonard. Um, And I would love if uh, maybe Elise, you want to start and tell us a little bit uh, just about yourself, where you're from, what you're doing now, all that, um, and your kind of connection to sports. Sure. Well, thank you, Nat and Kelsey, for uh, sharing the space with me today. I'm really excited to talk about sport and um, the impact and importance in our Indigenous community. So I am Elise Ally Joseph. I am a Choctaw woman from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, but I did not grow up in my community. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, My parents came over, my grandparents came over from Oklahoma in the 40s. And so I was really raised um, near the Yurok and Maidu communities in Northern California. And I grew up playing multiple sports. I have three younger brothers, so I always had to be better at them at sports. So that kept me going. But my grandfather was a phenomenal athlete and really laid the foundation of, you know, sport is not just a means of playing sport, but it's a means of of staying healthy, um, acknowledging where you come from, acknowledging who you are and where you want to lead your community. And so I really pushed myself to want to play a sport in college. Um, I played tennis at UC Davis. And I, a lot of, when I say I played tennis, a lot of people laugh because a lot of native people laugh because they're like, what tennis, we don't have any courts on the res. Um, <laughs> but I say that, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty urban area. So um, tennis became became my passion and um, it really you know it got my foot in the door to college kept my grades up kept me healthy and wanted you know help me to continue my my academic career Um, and then eventually I got my master's and doctorate in American Indian Studies at the University of Arizona 
and then was fortunate to earn a faculty position at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff in Applied Indigenous Studies, um, where I started there in 2013. And then in 2015, I was appointed the faculty athletic representative at NIU, um, which I know Nat, you are as well. And it's, it's, I think it's the best job on campus because you get to work with student athletes and make sure they're not only, you know, succeeding on the field, but succeeding in the classroom and in the community. Um, and we have a, a really vibrant indigenous community in Flagstaff. We're mm -hmm. a border town to a lot of communities, but mainly Hopi and Navajo. And so it's just so fulfilling to be able to work with not only native people, but native athletes and, and help them pursue their, their hopes and dreams through sports. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, Kelsey, before I have you go on, I just want to uh, talk about how I found Elise and I actually was in I think it was my first year of my my PhD program probably four years ago and I was kind of banging my head against the wall because I felt like there was no one really doing the work on native athletes um, at, kind of at the you know the the uh, peer-reviewed research level and or just really just at the any any kind of level of research and um, kind of that social sciences, uh, you know, qualitative research. And when I found Elise's dissertation, I was just like, it was everything I had been looking for. I was just like, it was uh, miraculous. And I'll never forget, Elise, when you told me I, you got my email and you were like giving your daughter a bath and you were just like, you like screamed because you were so excited. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of the exact same thing on my end. So, and then it was like, ever since then, it was like instant, uh, instant allies and kind of friends and just yep. honestly like sisters I, I'm I'm an only child so it's really nice to find um fam you know family and we're such a small you know small little group that it's it's really great to to have that well I feel the same way Matt I don't have any sister I just have brothers like I said so yeah I yeah, welcome all the the feminine power I can <laughs> grasp yes. onto so I appreciate it yes and now we welcome Kelsey to our group. So Kelsey, you want to tell us a little about yourself? Okay, well, hello everyone. Uh, I am Dr. Kelsey Leonard. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, uh, in the Faculty of Environment. I'm so thankful to uh, Nat for bringing us both on today for, for the, her podcast and for this episode, and to being connected to both of you. I, I think it's, you know, been really, um, just a breath of a breath of fresh air in academia to be, you know, working with an all Indigenous female team, you know, on a topic that is, you know, near and dear to my heart. And I think for a lot of folks, I kind of come to sport uh, in a maybe a little bit of a different way, or or just kind of not it being very personal and not necessarily a part of my academic tradition, but. I'm very interdisciplinary. And so mm. I think that uh, this really excited me, this opportunity for us to work together on a project. And I mean, really the work that I do in the environment is really connected to sport in a lot of ways, because if we don't have a healthy environment and we're not you know, taking care of ourselves and making sure that our individual well-being is, is you know, on the right track, then that also links into planetary health and the way that we treat the environment. So I think that's, that's a bit of how I, I see it's all connected. 
Um, but for me and for the listeners, the sort of the personal connection I was mentioning, I come from the Shinnecock uh, Indian Nation. Our territory is located on the southern shores of Long Island in New York. And, you know, I think what's really uh, important there is we have a really rich tradition of being connected to American sport or what we might sort of classify as American sport, in particular golf. So we have um, the second U.S. Open um, in the history of U.S. Opens was held at uh, Shinnecock Hills Golf Club, which is a golf course on Long Island on our stolen Shinnecock land. Um, and in particular, it's in the Shinnecock Hills, which are the sacred areas of our burial grounds. Um, so there's a really storied and uh, you know, long history to our interaction at, with the sport of golf and with sort of American sports more broadly and sort of these American pastimes and how they interact with colonization and then with our community. And that really informed a lot of you know, my connection to sport growing up because the, you know, the history of golf was kind of founded in, you know, in our territory. And so, and some of the first professional golfers that came in second and, uh, you know, were really sort of preeminent golfers in the, at the start of golf in America were Shinnecock golf golfers. And so it just kind of really framed, you know, we just had this long tradition of, of a love-hate relationship with the sport for sort of the way in which the the golf clubs were established, but then also this, you know, distinct love for, for the sport. And, you know, we have Shinnecock Indians from the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, who like on their death certificate, their listed profession was professional golfer. Um, mm. And I think that that's just, that's really powerful. And it kind of shaped a little bit of, you know, my personal uh, history and it was sport, you know, playing sport in high school and, you know, basketball and softball and volleyball and always being, you know, very much uh, into athletics and then going on to university um, and playing rugby uh, my freshman and sophomore years and also wanting to learn more about sort of the hidden history of Native Americans, Indigenous peoples in sport. Like, I feel like not very many people are aware of our Shinnecock history and being sort of these, you know, leaders in, as prof leaders in professional golf when it was first starting out in, in the States. In the same way, too, we have this really unique running tradition, you know, across all of our tribes and throughout Indian country. And when I was going to school um, at Harvard in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I, that's sort of where I first came onto the scene as well with the Boston Marathon and, you know, seeing all of the running culture and, you know, in uh, the early part of the 20th century, one of um, the winners, the two-time winner, in fact, of the Boston Marathon was a Narragansett Indian, another Eastern coastal indigenous man uh, named Tarzan Brown. And, you know, I got to sort of host this event at Harvard about um, the running traditions in indigenous communities and kind of barefoot running. And, you know, Tarzan Brown was kind of known for... Uh, having, you know, funky footwear. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, uh, that's kind of where my love for sport comes from. And it's always been something that I've wanted to continue when I got to a space of being kind of a professional academic, if we might call it that. And so to really be able to write our own stories, I think is, is mm. just of what I was 
hoping to, to do later on in life. And I feel like finding you folks, that's now where we are. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love too that you, you brought up golf and it just made me think of what uh, Elise was saying about tennis and kind of these like non-traditional, what people think of when they think of um, indigenous sport. And I think that's so important that we have people realize like, you know, yes, we have a, you know, a strong tradition in running or, you know, lacrosse, uh, stickball, but we also have connections to these other, you know, maybe more colonized sports, but we can also dominate that too. Um, and I'm curious uh, for both of you ladies, because I think our, our thread, you know, as much as we, we love uh, sport is also that we're, you know, we're, we're in academia and we're in um, higher ed and, did you always like know you were going to go to college? Was it something that, um, cause for me, it was just like, I just, just knew I was always going to go. And I, but it was, it was really hard to go, 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 go from, away from home and my family. But um, I'd love to know if you guys struggled with that. If the least you want to start. Yeah. I knew I always wanted to play sport in college and that was my, really my driving force. I mean, I, I think I am, you know, I, I liked school and I did well in school. Um, but my driving force, you know, I wanted to get good grades and maintain good ac academic standing so I could play tennis in college. And I always tell my, my students that I'm like, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I really didn't care too much about academia. I just wanted to play a sport in college. Um, but I think the beautiful thing about that is, like I mentioned earlier, it got my foot in the door and I, I immediately fell in love with academic, academia at UC Davis because I got into the Native American Studies program and I found people that thought like me, that wanted to give back to community, um, that wanted to pave a forward path for you know future generations. Um, and so I say sport was really the motivating factor for me to pursue an education and I don't I really don't know if I'd be sitting here talking with you as, you know, an indigenous doctor, um, if it were, if it weren't for sport. And so I, I always keep that in the back of my mind. And I always think, you know, for me, sport is really a metaphor for my life because I've navigated everything I've done the way that I play sport. Um, you have to, you know, you have to put in the time to get the results. And so I think about that with academia. Um, I think about that with, you know, every, my relationships, being a mother, being a wife, um, being a daughter, it's, you know, you have to, you have to put in the time and the effort um, and, and the love of what you do to, to, to get the results. So um, very grateful that I, you know, I had the opportunity to, to play sport <laughs> as a, as a, as a girl. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, so I think, yeah, yeah, I think for me, um, I always knew that I wanted to go on to higher education for, for university and college. Um, I don't think that, I think I struggled in the same way that, that you did, Matt, and what you were mentioning of like, how far away did I want to go? Um, mm -hmm. I think at first I was like, oh, I want to, I want to go see the world. I want to go far away. And so you know, I had applied to schools that, you know, were on the other side of the country from, from where I was living. But when it finally came down to picking a school, I, you know, I, I saw the value and the benefit for being, you know, far away from, far away enough from home that I could experience a new place, but also still 
you know, very familiar in terms of being in New England that, uh, that I would still be a, you know, a ferry ride away from my res and my home and my family and, uh, but still have this sort of large new place to explore in terms of Cambridge and Boston. So I, I definitely struggled with making that decision of like how far away from home to go. And then in terms of sports, it was really strange, I think, for, and I wonder if, you know, other Indigenous athletes faced the same thing in high school. I was, you know, um, you know, a pretty stellar academic, so, you know, had all of the grades. I was a varsity athlete, you know, for most of my years in, you know, of my four years of high school. But when it time, when it came time to go into college, and particularly the Ivy League, I didn't have a lot of, because I didn't, I don't have anyone in my family, I don't think, yeah, I'm thinking through now, I didn't have anyone in my family that had gone on an NCAA scholarship to any type of college or university, and mm -hmm. when it came time to go to, into the Ivy League, I had, like, no guidance about NCAA clearinghouse and all the, like, all the different forms and stuff you have to fill out, like, it was enough just trying to figure out FAFSA, but then trying to figure out, right. like, the NCAA clearinghouse rules and, like, you know, because the Ivy League is D1, like, there were all these different things, and it's just, like, I was so tired of filling out forms and applications that I was just, like, you know what, I will go, like, intramural, like, club league, like, I just, I'm, you know, if I need to be a walk-on for varsity, I'll do it when I get to campus. I was just, um, I, I just felt overwhelmed by the amount of information and, like, didn't have the guidance to figure out how to do, do everything as a senior, um, that was already trying to figure out just like how am I going to afford to get here yeah uh, so absolutely so no I think and I think that's a I think that's a I think that's a common thing that happens to 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 our students and um especially when you think about those who maybe aren't you know aren't don't strive academically it's a it's a hard I think it's a really hard adjustment I was actually talking to we were just talking about how you kind of as much as we learn in our lives, we have to unlearn from everything that's been kind of colonized. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's so much of the kind of work we do uh, in academia is like trying to really almost push against a system that's been set up um, in a really kind of limited, limited way. I know, I know I have, and um, it's, it's just so impressive to me how you both have been able to um, just find success and kind of, you know, people, we often talk about like walking in two worlds and like having to be native, but also having to be, you know, you know, more, more modern and more white for, for lack of a better, um, better term. And um, it's, it's really hard. I think for the more we can share our stories and encourage other other native youth and I love too the fact that you know Elise you you know you you didn't grow up on your your home you know homelands but you you grew up with your community and your family and that's I think so that's I think that's the, the essence because I think and Kelsey I, I would love if you could talk more about this too is like our connection to to land we we don't see ourselves as owners of land we are kind of more stewards of land and it's it's a a resource it's not a it's not something that we can really manipulate and own um was there a, a turning point for you and in, in your in your research where you kind of had this point of like your traditional viewpoints plus finding something maybe in academia that aligned 
Oh, I'm, I think that's, that's a really great question. I think that my research has always been grounded in community and in those uh, epistemologies that you just alluded to around land stewardship and, and the lack of of this idea of, of ownership or being able to own land or or owned um, own water and so that's kind of you know shaped a lot of the the work that that I do now and and I really do just try and center indigenous epistemologies in in community work and in research but I think in the on the other half of your question of you know do did I find that there is spaces or places in academia that were welcoming to those viewpoints. Um, Yes, but you know, very few and far between. And I think it was kind of like Elise. It's like you know, they're embedded in in the native faculty that exist in these colonial institutions, or they're embedded in the native student programs that that might be there. Um, and so you find pockets of of support, uh, lifelines to to keep the work going and to um, you know really put these vantage points forward, but. I think that there are still a lot of challenges and I think a lot of the social unrest that we're seeing across the world that's sort of now, you know, infiltrated across academia and we see a lot more calls for decolonization and indigenization. I think, you know, we're starting to see that also in, in terms of sport and academia um, and sport in university and, and, and I think our university athletes, especially indigenous university athletes are starting to Kind of see the trickle down effect of these calls for for action, um, but I think it's still to be determined. You know where that where that leads us to in the future. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 so great. And Elise, I'm wondering too if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more because I, I was really lucky enough to be asked to be our faculty athletics rep um, here at Linfield this year. And um, I know we've talked about it a little bit before in the past, but um, can you talk about like kind of how you got involved? Because like you know once you once you enter academia, I, I imagine that, um, you know, being in indigenous studies, you were, you were longing for that connection to sport. So how did, how did you get into that, into that role at, at, at NAU? Yeah, I, I, I think as an athlete, I mean, for me, I'm always going to identify as an athlete. Um, it's ingrained in who I am as, as I mentioned before, as a person, as a mother, as a, as a, you know, relationship to my surroundings. And so what Kelsey said about, you know, not knowing how or not having the resources to pursue a sport in college or NCAA sport in college, it's really, really troublesome because I, you know, that's, I think a typical story we hear from our indigenous athletes. It's like, well, I thought about it or I, I thought I probably could, but you know, I've heard, well, I, you know, I wasn't good enough to be on TV. And it's, and it's that, that mindset where you have to be this, you know, high ranking division one athlete to, to make it in college. And, and so with, you know, when I was playing a sport in college, I, I looked around and said, where the heck are all the other native athletes? You know, of course, there weren't, weren't too many tennis players, of course, but there was one other uh, baseball player at Davis. And so when I got to my master's and then my PhD, that in a sense became my passion is, you know, the experience that I had, how can I help others obtain that same experience? How can I provide the resources? 
And so my whole research really started to surround indigenous athletes, sports, advocacy, opportunity. And so luckily when I, you know, became a faculty at NAU, um, I mean, I have a phenomenal department where we are grounded in indigenous culture, sovereignty, epistemology, you know, pedagogy. And so I get to work closely with Native students, faculty, community. Um, but yeah, that one thing that was missing um, was the athletic piece. And luckily, I just was, you know, browsing my email one day and I saw a call for an F the FAR position. And so I thought, holy moly, because I remembered back at Davis, I worked, you know, I was president of our student athlete club and advisory club. And so I worked closely with our FAR and I thought to myself, like, when I grow up, I want to be an FAR. That sounds like a cool job. Um, and so I applied and I thought, you know, what? there's no way I'm going to get this right. I'm a second year faculty at that time. I was just a lecturer, um, not a lot of experience, but I really think that my experience as an athlete and as an indigenous person helped me get that FAR position. Um, and so just my, my worlds came together and <laughs> just it, it's really been such a beautiful process because the melding of my research and then the application of working with indigenous communities and non-indigenous communities like NAU um, to how, how can we help provide more access opportunity and success for our native students and native student athletes. And so it's been a really eye-opening experience because we're saying, you know, I think that we're the only two, there might be one other native FAR in the country. But so when you think about social justice and um, equality and equity, it's like sometimes you feel like you're standing in this room by yourself yelling mm -hmm. at the top of your lungs saying, we need to do this. Why don't you understand? Um, and so it's, you know, the building of relationships, like you said, Nat, and the building of, of allyship. And I did want to mention, you said one thing about, you know, walking into worlds. And I always, you know, you read that everywhere and we hear that. And I, I really, I've become, I really don't like that term. Yeah. And I, it's because I gave a keynote lecture to about like 300 um I think they're freshmen and sophomore from reservations around Arizona. And I said, like, look at me standing up here. This could be you, right? This, this could be you. We belong here. We belong at university. We belong in college. And it's the mindset of we have to change who we are, our identity, our connection to land, our connection to culture and language to then leave and go to this university. So by saying two worlds, we have to really leave who we are and become this other person where in reality it should be the university that should be welcoming and accepting and acknowledging who we are as indigenous people. Yeah. And I think athletes have a platform to help move that forward. Um, and I think we're seeing that as, as you know, we'll talk about with COVID and the reaction and the response from Native athletes and, um, and how 
you know, it is, it's a big responsibility um, as an athlete these days, I think. Um, but it's one that I know our indigenous communities are welcoming and, and, and thriving to become that voice, to become that platform, to become that, you know, activist. Um, and so I like, you know, like I mentioned, I think it's one world. Yes, we have, might have to navigate and negotiate who we are in a bit, but I think it, we don't need to, to change who we are to, to be successful outside of our communities. Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you said that because like when I every time I say it, it just feels icky. And I'm just like, we shouldn't have to compromise ourselves, you know. We shouldn't have to feel like we need to be, you know, be one person in one setting and one person in another. And like that's the bit beauty of intersectionality for all my academics out there that I I know uh, have we've been talking a lot about intersectionality, I think, this year in 2020 and all that's um been happening and um yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad. And I love to, at least what you, you kind of, you made me aware of kind of the NCAA as like an institution too, of, you know, having their inclusion conferences and making sure we have a, have a, uh, you know, a space at that, at that table. So that's been, been really fun to be a part of. And um, so what, I'll, I'll jump in now, kind of get into to the, our recent publication. And I, I remember back in, uh, April, Elise, uh, we, we talked and we did a podcast and we were just, honestly, we we're just processing our feelings around everything that was going on with, with COVID and in our communities and, um, and as, as it relates to sport. And, and so, um, we had a, we had a really good conversation. I think it was like the next day, Kelsey actually reached out to me, uh, via Twitter and, you know, said, you know, there was a call for papers in the international journal of sport communication, I believe. And, um, around COVID and she's like, Hey, would you want to maybe collaborate on, on something? And I was just like, man, this would me and Elise, we, we kind of always talk about that. And we kind of just needed Kelsey to come in and just be like, let's do it. Let's like really, really push us and like, give us that, like that, that platform. And so we, we really kind of worked our butts off for a couple of weeks. It was a really tight, tight timeline. And, you know, at the same time, I know we were kind of ourselves just worried about COVID scares in our own lives. And, um, processing all of that, and um, and at least I wonder if you maybe want to want to jump in, or or Kelsey, really, of um, what what your kind of goal was for for this project. Well, I think for for me, the goal for the project was really just again to raise awareness around just how severely COVID nineteen was impacting. Uh, Indigenous athletes and Indigenous communities, you know, across Indian country, uh, you know, especially for me being being now in in Canada, you know, I was seeing it across several islands, so across Canada, the U.S., you know, even you know in other parts of the world with other Indigenous communities, who were just really talking about how the pandemic was impacting sport, both in positives and negatives. So that's kind of where I was you know, really wanting us to be able to tell our own stories and to showcase, you know, how our athletes and our communities are innovating and responding in such resilient ways to the pandemic through sport. And I just didn't feel like it was really being talked about in academic circles. And I also didn't feel like the news coverage that it was getting, you know, wasn't um, really heightened. So I was, I was hoping that there would be a way for, you know, Indigenous people to be able to tell their stories, tell our stories of, of what we were going through during this, you know, historic time in for humanity. 
so that, you know, maybe 10, 50 years from now, folks will be able to look back and, and use this kind of as a time capsule of, of, of how we responded. And, you know, just seeing things from our jingle dress dancers to the social distance powwow to, you know, uh, res ball and, and other uh, community basketball tournaments being canceled or reformed and just seeing just how communities responded to go to take a lot of things virtual it was really really unique I thought it was something that was just this moment in history that we I didn't want to let slip by and not have us capture it in some form so yeah absolutely and Elise um I'd love to hear too about because you you really shared with us this this concept of exercising sovereignty and I would love to hear more about about your 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 thoughts. Yeah, so well, I you know anytime that I get a chance to talk or write about indigenous sports or athletes, I'm I'm all about it. And you know, as not as you said, it was a really trying time with both my kids were at home and trying to teach three classes and whatnot. So I'm just grateful that both of you you know, kind of kicked me in the rear and said, let's do this. So I'm, I'm really happy that, w that we did. But I think a main motivating factor for me is, and Kelsey alluded to this, is, you know, sports have always been such a vibrant and inclusive and positive means to our society, um, to our communities. And so, yes, how, of course, it's going to impact it negatively. Um, but more importantly, what are we doing as communities to overcome that and and be resilient and so you read so much literature out there about just this deficit model with indigenous communities and you know what are indigenous communities doing wrong why they have all these health elements economic etc and so we you know we need to counter that and we need to to flip that on inside and say you know we need to have a, a positive narrative um and so I'm just really grateful that we we did that. I think we we definitely achieved that in our article, um, and what we're doing now. It's 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 not. There's so many more positive things in the world of indigenous communities than negative, and we need to focus on that. And so when we talk about you know when we think about sovereignty, and of course being in applied indigenous studies, art. I mean, we are everything we do is rooted in sovereignty. And you think, I mean, I think when you think of sovereignty, you first, you know, it's typically referred to as a connection with, you know, an, an inherent right to govern ourselves on our own land or that, you know, political citizenship. Um, right. but I, I began to think about that because you hear this term exercising sovereignty, right? And I began to think about that and it's like, well, what are we doing as indigenous people ourselves through our own acts of movement, our own physical ability to move. Um, and when we think of the history of sport, we, right, we talked, it's very, it's, you know, connected to a lot of our emergent creation stories, um, sustenance, survival, we see it in boarding schools as a, you know, really as a way to, um, to identify and to be agents of change and, and and maintain that indigenous identity in spaces that were, you know, termed kill the Indian to save the man and sport allowed us a space to use our bodies to beat kind of the white man at his own game in a sense, right? And yeah, so yeah. 
how, you know, how physically, um, how to, you know, how does sovereignty work in the physical sense? And so I think by moving for, you know, moving ourselves being healthy, but it carries just that physical movement carries our ancestors with us. It carries the meaning of who we are as indigenous people um, through health, through education, through economic development. And then it really provides a path forward, I think. And so the term exercising sovereignty, it, it serves as kind of that protective factor and that resilient factor of who we are. And so I, 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 it was my hope by saying, well, it's not just, you know, it's actually exercise, like movement is a form of sovereignty. Um, and I think we see that within our communities. We, we see that actual movement for ourselves, for those maybe that can't move um, and those that want to move in the future. Absolutely. And um, for those of you listening, we're going to make sure that um, you're able to access our article and um, also a great graphic because I think more than anything, us, us Indigenous folks, we, we understand that stories um, not just written or spoken, but also seen and something we want to we show in a, in a visual way. And so we had a really great graphic um, done to show these protective factors of exercising sovereignty. And and these are all things that if you're, you know, you're indigenous, you're gonna, you're gonna recognize our, you know, our community, um, the, the resilience that all of our people have, have had and the strength that they've shown. And, um, and really, again, what, how, how we, re, re, we relate to each other as, as native folks across Turtle Island, as Kelsey mentioned, but also recognizing that we have so much positive going on and we, we do, we, we're not, we're not all, we don't need to be seen um, as coming from that deficit perspective that is so often used. And even I ca I catch myself doing it when I would, when I would talk to, talk to athletes or talk to native folks, it's like, instead of saying, what challenges have you overcome? Say, uh, you know, what are the, what are your accomplishments that you're really proud of? And like, what, what made that, what made that happen for you? And like, what were the good things, you know? And so that's the, the fifth factor we talked about is the abundance and the, the really the prosperity that we have within our communities that often gets overlooked because, you know, the, the poverty porn oftentimes gets, um, gets the limelight, you know, the clickbait kind of stuff. And so, and again, acknowledging too that COVID-19 has kind of wreaked havoc on our communities, that, but at the same time, it has been a way for us to exercise uh, literally and figuratively, figuratively our, our sovereignty in our communities. So I'm um, really proud of it. And it's, it's, it's funny, the funny piece too is that, uh, we, so we submitted to a, a journal, a special journal edition, um, and actually, you know, us, we, we couldn't make the, I think it was 10,000 word limit um, because we just had so much we wanted to share. And so we didn't actually get accepted for the chat or for a journal article, but we were accepted for a to submit for a chapter. So we're actually in in a book called Sport in the Pandemic. And I love that we're included in this because it is again a not you know, I love indigenous specific, but I love when we can also put ourselves at the table with the rest of the world and not just um, have to feel like we have to be in one lane. And so I love that we're able to kind of bring that to, to the forefront as, alongside other, you know, articles about sponsorship and broadcasting. You know, we have our, our chapter about indigenous uh, sovereignty and, and sport. And so it's um, definitely, I'm just, I'm so proud. And so it's so cool to see it come to fruition. It seems like 
we've been in such a weird 2020 in a way it seems like yesterday that we were working on it together and in a way it seems like it was five years ago so it's it's really really cool to to see it come to life and we're really thankful for all the listeners out there who are going to check it out i'm sure and hopefully share it and uh your own your own lives and um before we before we go i did want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of maybe share you know what what are you, what's something you're looking forward to in the next year um it can be personal it can be work it can be be anything um um, but I would love to kind of hear, and then, you know, if any, any projects you want to plug, uh, to share with, share with our listeners. August, I wanted to just follow up on something too. So yes, I just, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think the, the process of doing this, this chapter, um, as three indigenous women, as you, as you mentioned, and I think that it's so important that what you said about not just publishing or speaking to, you know, the choir in a sense, I mean, native community, mm. it's like, well, yeah, we know this, we, we know we're resilient, we know we're amazing, we know how we have so much to offer, but I think this is a little, you know, a little step forward of, Kelsey, what you mentioned earlier is indigenizing the academy um, decolonizing space so we can rebuild and flourish like we know that we can. Um, and so I'm, I just want to say to him, I'm so proud of this. And, you know, when, when I write, or especially when I work with Indigenous communities, I, I say, you know, I'm not, it's not just us doing it. It's not just the three of us doing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's we're, we're doing this for the community. And we have all these people um, and all these amazing athletes and, and traditions that we we have as co-authors, really, because <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do it without the amazing work that our Indigenous communities are doing. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that, that, you know, it's, this work is for the community. It's not, of course, it's great to publish, and we have to publish as, yeah. as Indigenous researchers, but um you know, I, I do this because I want it to make an impact with our, really our youth. Um, and so I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm proud and I know there's a, a lot more work to be done. Um, but I think this is a stepping stone. And so I hope that those out there who read it and that will listen that are, you know, not indigenous, but are indigenous allies um, can take this to heart and, and really start you know, thinking and having conversations at your dinner table. And, um, you know, I, Indigenous Peoples Day is this week. And so I just wanted to say happy Indigenous Peoples Day, of course. Um, and I, I'm running a, ten, a virtual 10K tomorrow that the awesome Jordan Daniels has put together, um, going through towards three different um, nonprofit organizations that all go back to Indigenous communities. And so, you know, I think that's another example of running as a form of exercising sovereignty where we we're stating, you know, it is indigenous people's day next month is native American heritage month, but don't just, don't just think of us on indigenous people day. Don't just think of us in November, right? Like we're, we're indigenous people every day of the year. Um, And we, we are important. Um, We have so much to offer and we, you know, we, our whole purpose is to provide a better, a better life and a good life for our, our youth. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited about um, how 
really, especially now within 2020 has been, yes, difficult and trying, but I think there's, there's a lot of positive things coming out of it. Um, what we see with social justice, we see the Washington football team. Um, and really, I, I do think that there's a lot of the inequities that are coming out that are at the forefront of mainstream, you know, politics and media. Um, and so where we can't, you know, those cannot be ignored anymore. And so, again, I just want to say, you know, yakoke to both of you for your time, work, and dedication um, in this project and to the, the communities out there. Thank you for, for laying the foundation for us to be able to do this, this work. Absolutely. That was so great, Elise. And it, it, you did, you, you really nailed it. And uh, something we've talked about and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get to do and maybe we'll, we'll lean on the peer pressure of the listeners too. It's like we want to do a, a project around uh, Indigenous athletes um, that have gone through this year of COVID and what, what, what they've gone through personally. And we, we would love to share their narratives of how they've um, kind of overcome the you know, the, the craziness that is COVID-19 and, uh, and again, not from that deficit perspective, but all the, the great things that you've, you've been doing. So if there's any listeners out there who, um, want to, sh want to share or have people they think that we should be a part of that project, please do let us know. And we want, we want it again to be collaborative. We, we, we don't do this work just for us, but we, we want it to be something the community can, can learn from and, and, and be proud of, um, and so with that, Kelsey, what, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I would just, you know, second everything that, that you, Nat, and, and Elise have both just said in terms of, you know, where do we go from here and looking and what are we looking forward to? I think this chapter was an opportunity for us to kind of lay the groundwork for a framework of understanding exercise, exercising sovereignty in the context of, of COVID-19. But I think that, that the framework that we've provided is something that we can apply to a lot of different contexts and across a lot of different scales. And so I'm really just kind of looking forward to seeing where the project goes from here and where it grows, you know, whether it's with the, uh, the student athlete portion uh, of, of our work. Um, and maybe even I know that we've had some conversations about the international component of, of this work and really thinking, you know, the, the current chapter is, is somewhat centered in the what you know might currently be known as the U.S. although we do have a little bit of, of influence of, of the Great Lakes kind of coming in, in into the mix but um, I think it would be really cool to to partner with some other uh, international folks indigenous folks from, from other parts of the world and and linking up to really see you know what is indigenous sport in in 2021 look like and you know, we have so many different ways in which we come together across Indigenous communities for, for sport, but um, to sort of reimagine what that looks like post-pandemic or, or post-whatever our current existence is, uh, you know, sort of that Indigenous futurism of sport could be a really cool opportunity. So, yeah, just looking to continue to grow and continue to see the conversation evolve. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, Thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining our first kind of uh, group podcast here out for Creative Native. But I am 
uh, so excited for this continued work. And, you know, I know sometimes we get, we get caught up in our, our kind of every days, but it's always so good for us to come together. And now hopefully we'll have some, from some peer pressure from our listeners as well. But again, yeah, all we, we just, we just want to be a part of a, you know, a healthy and strong future for, for our communities. And so we, um, are, are lucky to be in positions that we can, we can do this work. And so, um, yes, everyone in, in, remember Indigenous Peoples Day is not just one day, but it is a, an ongoing, ongoing thing. And, um, we may not need your, you to save us or to, 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 you know, be, see that, see that role, but as being kind of more of a savior, but actually just being a, being an ally and being standing alongside us and being willing to listen and, and learn about our experiences and, and share our experiences. And, and we, we will do the same. So um, thank you ladies so much. And um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. I just want to encourage everyone just to get out there and move, move for yourself, yeah. move for your community whether it's walking a few feet or, you know, running a marathon, it's all, it, it's, it's, it all matters and it's all important. And it all shows that sport, you know, is a very, it's a resilient act of healing for our community. So um, yeah, let's get out there and move. Absolutely. That's a perfect, for perfect note to, to end on. Um, thanks again, ladies. I'll talk to you soon.